Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, and welcome to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brian Jura, and I hope wherever you are, you're not uh, caught up in the snow apocalypse with 20 inches of snow. Uh, I know that uh, Matt Netter, uh, one of the writers at uh, Mets 360, is snowed in and without power. So I'm very pleased that uh, David Groman only has 12 inches of snow where he is and uh, drove to work and laughed and drove home and laughed, and he's ready to bring some uh, entertainment here to the podcast tonight. Welcome, David. Thank you, Brian. I'm, I'm glad to, to be here and safe inside. There you go. All right, well, um, some person right now who probably isn't safe is Dom Smith. And I want to know, do you think that the Mets were fair to Dominic Smith bringing in Adrian Gonzalez and, and essentially gifting him the starting first base position? So uh, I don't know if fair is the right term. The Mets were well within their rights to obtain an insurance policy on Dominic Smith after his 2017 wasn't what they were hoping it would be. But I still feel like this Adrian Gonzalez idea is beyond misguided on the Mets' part. Uh, in the end, their decision to obtain this older player who's likely bro- broken down could end up being a boon to Dominic Smith because when he does come up from, from AAA, he can benefit from the comparison to what I foresee as Adrian Gonzalez's numbers. But uh, I I just – I don't think that this is as much a hindrance to Gonzalez as, as much as it's a head-scratcher for the Mets. The thing that I understand is that uh, Smith has pretty much hit wherever he's been at uh, every level throughout the minors. You know, the the story is that he struggles in his first exposure and then turns it on in the, the second half of the season. And we certainly saw that last year in, in the PCL. But one thing that Smith has consistently been good at is he's, he's posted solid uh, – um, average on balls on play where in the 320s and 330s and then last year he gets into the majors and he puts up uh, what was it 220 some uh, it was a mark in that range about 100 points below what we would consider normal for him and and I think the thing that we wanted to see from Smith was power and he gave us that and I think that in a full season, he would have much more normal luck on his balls in play. And and I, I just feel like they're punishing him. Well, I think, I think that to a degree, it comes down to the Met management isn't trusting their scouting. Because the scouting, you know, everyone who has watched Smith has that same scouting report that he needs this adjustment period. For whatever reason, team management doesn't trust that to be the case. They assumed that he was going to to be ready to step into this role, and that's just, you know, a little misguided. In the end, do I think Adrian Gonzalez is going to be the thing that, that stops Dominic Smith from being a success in New York? No, I don't think that that's likely. 
Well, let's switch gears and talk uh, about a guy that I think we've both enjoyed following in the minors, and that's uh, P.J. Conlon. And I was a little disappointed with how quick they were to, to move him to the bullpen. And last year, after he struggled just a tiny bit uh, near the end of the season for uh, Binghamton, and then now we saw him in the majors, and they were talking about him potentially even winning a job out of spring training as a second reliever. Um, so the the writing seems to be on the wall for him being transitioned full-time to a reliever. And I guess what I want to know is, do you still hold out any hope of him making it as a starter? Yeah, I think the Mets have made their call, and I think that once he, he settles into that relief role, I think he's going to, to stick with it. Um, and and in the end, as much as both you and I agree that he could have had a real success as a starter, probably settling in as a number five or number five, uh, number five or even a number four pitcher uh, on a team, I think he'll succeed as a relief pitcher. And the goal of any prospect is to get to the majors and succeed. And if Conlon does that, we should just be happy that he does that. Um, and, and who knows, he could become the next Jerry Blevins and the Mets could have their next, you know, lefty reliever for all those loogie situations you love so much. I get what you're saying, and, and that's probably the, the clear, level-headed way to approach it. And usually that's the way that, that I like to look at things, but I just find myself getting so frustrated at this because I feel like it's a suboptimal use of of resources and, and in a way it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy it's almost like a few years back with uh, Henry Mejia where they he had great success as a, a starter all throughout the minors and then even in the majors he had some success as a starter but they had it just stuck in the front of their heads that this guy was a reliever and then they they shoehorned him into that role regardless of if it made sense or not and and I fear you know the same thing is happening with Conlon yeah, I think I think that's fair that the Mets sort of have just gotten this uh this notion that this is the way it has to be and it's going to be hard for them to get away from that with Conlon. I just have hope that he succeeds. However, however he makes it to the majors, I just want him to succeed in that role. All right, well, as long as we're talking about relievers, let's talk about uh, all of those righty relievers that the Mets acquired last year when they traded off their impending free agents. Um, Talking about uh, guys, of of course, like uh, Drew Smith and Jamie Callahan and Jacob Rame, and I'm probably forgetting eight others. Uh, Which one out of that group do you think will end up uh, helping the Mets the most uh, over their career? So over the career is hard, but my pick for at least – this season is Jacob Rame. Um, he has he has three things going for him, as I can see it. He can throw heat and get people to swing and miss. He doesn't give up many bases on balls, and his name isn't Hansel Robles. So I think <laughs> that I think that he could seriously be uh, sort of given this opportunity to step right into the bullpen. Uh, right out of spring training, I think he has a decent shot at that, given his his uh, outings thus far and if he does that I could see him earning some seventh inning uh, work in the near future 
you know, I think that uh, last year he came up and had uh, a lot of trouble with his uh, off-speed pitch, and I think that uh, major league hitters really took advantage of him there. So it'll be curious to see if he can show them another pitch besides the the 97-mile-an-hour fastball that uh, will get batters out. And, you know, I, I think I phrased the question as far as long-term, and I, I think that uh, if he can get his walks under control, Hassan Bautista might be the, the best one of the bunch. Now, do you have uh, any thoughts on uh, Bautista? I think I think he's definitely got the best ceiling. But I, when when a player is coming into an organization and he's already a reliever, uh, it makes me wary because oftentimes the best relievers that you see in the majors were starting pitchers in the minors. So you have that 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 situation with Conlon where he was a starting pitcher and now that he's you know being talked about for the majors, they're moving him into the bullpen. Someone like uh, like Bautista, he's been a reliever. I don't know if I can trust those reliever numbers to progress to the major league level so well. Okay, well, uh, let's uh, shift gears and uh, talk about a player who, uh, at least from my point of view, seems to be the the guy who the fan base is debating the merits of the most, and uh, that's uh, uh, infield extraordinaire Luis Guillorme. Um, I don't think anybody doubts his glove. Uh, I think the question becomes whether or not he can hit enough to to be a viable uh, major league uh, player. I think uh, some of us think that uh, he's a potential starter and and others see him as nothing more than a defensive replacement. So what's your take on Guillaume? Well, I, I have trouble seeing him as, as, as a player who's going to latch on as an everyday player. Uh, it's not that I don't want him to be. I would love him to to be a player who can at least get a 700 OPS to generate enough offense to to play as an everyday position player because his glove will translate. But we're not in that, that age anymore where a defensive phenom can make it in the league just on their defensive merits. You need to hit to some extent to make it in the majors. Well, I think I've been impressed with the the action that I've seen him so far this year in, in spring training. Uh, I saw him uh, a couple of years ago back when he was in Savannah, and he, he didn't uh, impress me as somebody who was going to be able to do any damage with the bat, but I think he's shown the, the ability to, to turn on pitches and, and drive the ball. I saw uh, a home run that uh, he he knocked. It wasn't quite straightaway center field, but it was it was mostly straight ahead center field. And uh, the St. Lucie Park, I think, has some pretty solid dimensions. So it wasn't a, a 330 foot homer. I mean, he he put a charge into that ball. I don't think that the I don't think he's carrying a balsa wood bat. I know he hasn't uh, hit for a lot of power in the minors and, and the fear is that major league pitchers are just going to knock the bat out of his hands. But I think he has the ability to, to hit. And if he can combine that with the, the high on base percentage that he, that he showed two of the past three years, I, I think you have a, a, a viable MLB starter for a, for a pennant contending club on our hands, because like I said earlier, nobody questions that defense. That is that is correct, and 
you know, you and I both know that I took some heat when I did not rank uh, Guillaume in my top 25. And right now, based upon what we've seen in spring, I look pretty bad. But I like looking bad in this case because I want him to succeed. So I, I will 100% of the time being wrong about a player if it means that he is going to be a success overall. Um, I'm hoping that that this progress that we're seeing isn't in our minds and we're not reading more into this than is really there. Well, I, I wholeheartedly second the uh, the the thing that you just said where you're happy to be wrong when it shows a guy from the minors being even better than what we thought. And one thing that, that I guess plays in along those same type of lines is how good are these all these hitters who are in Kingsport last year who who did so well and it's it's really a tough thing for me to to wrap my head around because i don't think kingsport has ever had that reputation as being a real offensive ballpark but there was just so many players last year for the mets who had such good years in kingsport so i want to know from you do you think that's uh like a one year blip or do you think that it was just one of those cases where the Mets had a lot of really good hitters in, in one of their lower-level systems, and it wasn't Brooklyn, it was Kingsport? Well, you have to, to, to look at the year in general because the Appalachian League in general had a good offensive year. Um, the, uh, the last year that, that the league was this good offensively was 2012. Um, and, and coincidentally, in that year, Kingsport was the bottom-ranked offensive team. This year, we were around the third-ranked offensive team with all of these great players. But I think that you had players hitting Kingsport who had been seasoned in the, in the Dominican Summer League, and you had a lot of players who had played with each other for multiple levels really starting to gel as a group. And, and what my hope is, is that we're going to see these players early on in Columbia, and we're going to find out right away if this was a flash in the pan or not, because I would like to see the majority of these Kingsport players, especially the players who are at least 20 years old, uh, playing in the full season, because uh, if they are for real, then the Mets could have a phenomenal team come 2020. Yeah, you just look at uh, some of the, the guys who, who excelled for Kingsport last year and uh, Terrazas and Uriarte and uh, Lagrange and Moreno and Vasquez and, and so on and so on. I mean, there was there was six, eight, maybe even ten guys who just put up really good, strong, solid numbers in there. And, and you have to think that even if it was uh, a year where – uh, for whatever reason, uh, numbers were out of whack that at least two or three of those guys are going to come up and continue to hit going forward. And, and wouldn't it be great if we uh, got a, a great hitting catcher out of that group? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a number of players that that from that group, I would love those numbers to truly translate. And I think you hit on all all three of my big ones. But it's it's going to come down to establishing early on in 2018 that those 2017 numbers were real. If that happens, then we can start getting excited. 
He's David, and I'm Brian, and you're listening to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. We're talking about the uh, prospects in the the Mets farm system tonight. And, uh, David, I guess I want to ask you, do you have a sleeper candidate? And by sleeper, I mean a guy who... uh, who's not on uh, someone's top 20 list, who you expect to have a, a strong 2018 season? So um, I'm going to, to break with tradition. I'm also going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to cheat on your uh, sleeper candidate there because I'm going to give two names. And I'm breaking with tradition because I'm going deep down into the Dominican Summer League, which is a, a horribly risky thing to do because I, uh, I did get fooled by uh, a certain Vincente Lupo's numbers once upon a time. <laughs> but um, there are a couple players that I think have a pretty good chance to have success as they transition from uh, international to stateside ball. I think we're going to see both of these players in Kingsport at some point this year. Um, the first is a pitcher. His name is Miguel Ramirez. And the second is a third baseman, Yoel Romero. Now, uh, Ramirez is not small in terms of uh, your, your average person, but at six foot one, he's just outside of the, the ideal range for a pitcher's height, um, and he's rail skinny. He's only 140 pounds. Uh, but in 66 and two-thirds innings, he only threw three walks, and that is just sort of unreal control for someone in the Dominican Summer League, which is known for, for having a lot of players who are just hurling the ball as hard as they can. So that's a really fun thing to see. Uh, he had a, you know, an ERA under two and a, a whip under one. He could really be something special. And then Yoel Romero, he, um, he's been in the DSL for a while because we signed him very, very young. And he had a 903 OPS last year. But the things that that excite me more than uh, seeing him start to hit for power in that league is that he had 17 stolen bases and uh, he had something like 32 strikeouts and 31 walks. So his walks and strikeouts were nearly even. That's a really great thing to see that someone has that, that plate discipline at that low level. So he can come stateside and really start to progress and, and look good against some of these uh, college and uh, prep school players. Well, let's shift the focus back to the the U.S. leagues, and uh, I want to talk about the some of the the Mets catching prospects. I think that uh, a lot of people are are less than pleased with how the the catchers on the Mets rosters have uh, have developed, have have turned out in the majors, and. They continue to look to the minors to, to see if maybe the next uh, great Mets catcher is down there. And the Mets have two guys who are, are in the upper level of the system who, who seem to have at least some promise and want to get your take on them and, and who you think the better of, of these two guys are. And, and the two guys, of, co- of course, are Tomas Nito and uh, Patrick Mazika. So which one do you prefer so, of those two? So uh, anyone who, who reads the blog knows that Brian is cheating here. Uh, because uh, for the past uh, two and a half years, I've been the champion of Patrick Mazika, um, basically talking him up uh, throughout the year. Um, now, Nido uh, definitely has better defense. He does. Uh, Mazika is, is a hit-first, ask-questions-later type of catcher, and he's basically thus far caught well enough 
to not be shifted to DH, uh, which is as much as you, you could hope from a guy who had no scouting telling him that he was going to be able to even do that. We've seen Mazika hit at each level he's played in. We haven't seen Nito have that success throughout his uh, minor league career. In the end, I still would say my, my money's on Mazika. Nito's gotten farther in, in his development. He's closer to the majors. I just I think that hitting is, is, is what is more important these days. And the idea of a left-handed batter who is going to, if not hit a lot of power, at least get on base a lot with his bat is too tempting not to get excited about issue with Mazika is I don't think that there's anything wrong with having uh, a guy whose who's defense isn't spectacular. And if we grant that Mazika does enough to stick behind the plate, to me the question is still, is his offense good enough? And, and I just think that uh, there's some serious questions about that. He got off to such a, a fantastic start with the bat um, last year, I think it was the the first uh, four or five weeks of the season, he was hitting for average and he was hitting for power. And and then after that, uh, both of those things disappeared. He he still maintained a pretty solid on-base percentage because he was drawing lots of walks, which is absolutely a good thing to see. But I'm just not sold on the bat, especially for a guy whose defense is somewhat questionable. Yeah, it's 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 hard to deny the uh, the slump that occurred. Um, I'm optimistic based upon his short uh, promotion to Double A to end his season that his hitting started to uh, catch on again, and I'm hopeful that it was simply a level of coaching that occurred in the year. Um, I've heard a number of times that in Port St. Lucie specifically the coaches there will ask the players to work on very specific things. So it is possible that we had coaches at that level looking for uh, Mazeka to take more pitches, to, to work the counts, to go deeper into counts. Uh, but we don't know that for sure. That is, that is hopeful thinking at best. I'm still going to say that uh, Nito has to show me more offense before I can put him ahead of Mazika in my depth chart. Well, we've reached the crazy prediction time of the show, and uh, we'll start. I'll give you my crazy prediction. I'll ask you to comment on it, and then ask for you to give me a crazy prediction of your own. So my crazy prediction this week is that the knuckleballer, Mickey Janis, he's, he's going to do well in Vegas, but not only is he going to do well, he's going to make the all-star team in, in Las Vegas, and at the end of the year, he's going to be named the, the Mets Minor League Pitcher of the Year. So I want to know, how crazy is that? Um, it's only crazy because you look at the rest of the, um, the team, even just the Met team that you have in Vegas, and it's hard to – it's hard to say that Mickey Janis is going to even be the best of the Met pitchers, let alone the best of the overall pitchers in, in that league. 
there's a lot of good pitching on that AAA team. And uh, to have Mickey Janis outpitch Corey Oswalt and Chris Flexen, and you might have Gizelman and, and Lugo down there, and that's, that's a stretch in my mind. Um, though I, I think that yours is at least plausible because mine may not be even quite plausible. All right, hit me. What's your crazy prediction? My crazy prediction is that the Mets, uh, who are bereft of uh, outfield depth, are going to play the media and put Tim Tebow in their 25-man roster to start the year. To start the year? Holy cow, I would say that's certifiable crazy. Back up the wagons, get the straitjackets out. That is... That is that's uh, bat guano insane. I, I, now, I, I would bet my house that that will not happen. Now, I don't want it to happen. I do not want that to happen at all. But looking at who the Mets have been trotting out to play the outfield, I only get the sense that they don't trust these other players that they have that should get that nod ahead of him. Because of that, I, I, I just I have to say that it's at least in my head as this could happen. Now, the, the Mets, of course, don't have a, a lot of upper-level uh, prospects in the outfield. They've added to the, the AAA mix by uh, bringing back uh, old pal Matt Decker, and they also uh, picked up uh, Zach Borenstein, both of those guys are getting uh, a lot of playing time in, in the major league camp right now. I think Patrick Biondi has also seen quite a, a bit of time, as has uh, uh, Kazmarski. So there, there's a bunch of guys they're they're at least giving a look to um, that that I would think that if they wanted to to start the year with a fifth outfielder. Um, while Conforto is is on the DL, that they would look at one of those four guys rather than uh, His Holiness uh, Mr. Tebow. Uh, I think uh, a, a Double A promotion would uh, could still be looked at as as aggressive to start the year. I I, I just don't see any way that uh, they they put him on the major league squad. Crazy, your prediction is crazy. Congratulations, you won, <laughs> Uncle. I give up. I can't top that. I can't compete. You're crazy. Oh. And just, just so we're clear, is, uh, that's crazy. Is, is, is logical. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, man. Well, you know, I, I thought I did pretty good this week. I, I, I thought I came up with, uh, with one that would be crazy, but uh, you, you blew me out of the water. All right, well, um, let's, uh, let's retreat from the land of craziness and, and get back to, um, well, I don't know, maybe it is crazy. You, you had uh, Peter Alonso ranked as the top guy in the Mets system. And um, I, I look at a lot of prospect lists. I don't know if anybody else had him as the number one guy. Uh, so you're, you're certainly uh, sticking out a, a controversial position there. So, whenever you pick somebody to be the top prospect, you, you, you give a lot of careful consideration to that and weighing the pros and the cons. So my question to you is what's your biggest concern about him? So a small correction. Uh, I had Andres Jimenez as number one. Alonzo was my number two, but I will concede that. 
that Peter Alonzo was the number one prospect of my heart because uh, <laughs> he is the guy that excites me most in the Mets farm system because he's the closest to the majors at that level. Um, so, so I'll concede that he at least was the, the player I had the most to say about um, in, in my uh, write-up. So my biggest concern that I have for Alonzo is that he has started in this past year to show a propensity for striking out. In his 2016 campaign where he obliterated what I thought was logical expectations for uh, a player at uh, the Brooklyn level, which is not a, a offensive league by any stretch, um, he he was so far above what I thought uh, a player could be at that level that I had perhaps too high hopes for what he would eventually do. And um, this past year, his strikeouts did go up significantly, and that is a troubling thing. Um, his plate discipline is certainly something that he's going to need to work on, and perhaps it's good that the uh, the development stages for him have been delayed with Adrian Gonzalez, that he's going to repeat in A and then move up to AAA, because if he moved right up to AAA, he could get very swing-happy very quickly. Well, we only have about 30 seconds left, and I want to see if we can bang out one question here real, real quick, and that's a favorite of mine and Corey Oswalt. I want to know from you, what do you think would be a good season for Oswalt this year in Las Vegas? So I think that, that the best season for Corey Oswalt in Las Vegas is one that isn't that long because he's already in the majors. I'm, I'm coming around to your way of thinking, and I think Oswalt is uh, rotation-bound for uh, flushing. It's just a matter of time, and uh, the best season that he could have is one that ends in Queens. Well, excellent. Well, uh, I'd like to thank uh, David for joining us tonight and uh, sharing his information on the Mets prospects. Um, please tune in again uh, next uh, Wednesday night at 11 o'clock when uh, Metsjadamas, John Coppinger, rejoins us. Uh, David, thanks so much for, uh, for chiming in tonight, and uh, enjoy that snow. Thank you so much, Brian. All right. Good night, everyone, and goodbye.